Hello and welcome to Ed Talks UK. My name is Ian Usher from Hearts for Learning and today I'm joined by my colleague Rachel McFarlane who's the Director of Education Services here at Hearts for Learning. Rachel was a National Leader of Education from 2007 until 2018 and she served as Head Teacher of three very different schools over a 16 year period. From 2009 to 2018, she was project director of the London Leadership Strategies Going for Great programme. She's an honorary fellow at the Institute of Education. She's written a number of blogs and articles and co-authored books on great schools, high performance cultures and learning power. The first book, which is entirely her own work, which will be on the topic of disadvantaged gap and the forgotten third, is due to be published early next year in 2021. Rachel, thank you for joining us today. Lovely to be here. You've worked a lot to improve outcomes for disadvantaged learners over the years. In your opinion, how much progress has been made in recent years and how was this group of pupils performing before the pandemic? So first of all, it's perhaps worth saying a little bit about what we mean when we talk about disadvantaged pupils, because the government uh, has an eligibility criteria, as we all know, for pupil premium funding, and that's existed since 2011 when the coalition government introduced that term uh, pupil premium and that captures children from families with economic disadvantage but it doesn't capture all children from families with economic disadvantage and sometimes the children who are really struggling most financially um, aren't necessarily eligible for pupil premium funding and we also know there's a whole cohort of vulnerable learners um, who aren't necessarily caught within the pupil premium grant but from tracking those eligible for pupil premium over the last decade We've seen a stubborn gap at all phases and key stages, right from early years through to GCSE. In the middle of the last decade, there were signs at various key stages that the gap was reducing. But in 2019, the Education Policy Institute uh, published a, a report which made for quite sobering reading and said that that reducing of the gap had actually slowed down at most key stages, apart from the end of primary. And in 2020, the report that came out uh, reflecting on the academic year prior to COVID pandemic made even more serious reading in that it suggested that the disadvantage gap at all key stages in 2019 had actually grown. So we went into a situation of lockdown and COVID disruption, knowing that already we'd got not just a stubborn problem at early years, primary and secondary, but an augmenting problem. And when that pandemic hit, there were all sorts of impacts on the whole of the education sector. So how were those impacts expressed in the lives and the achievements and the experiences of students? And was that maybe more accentuated in those disadvantaged pupils that you've referred to? Almost certainly. And again, we have to be careful about making sweeping generalisations and stereotypes. And there will have been some disadvantaged youngsters and children eligible for pupil premium who had a really positive experience during lockdown and got an awful lot of support and were enabled to continue with their learning and exploring their passions. But we know that of the 1.3 million children living in England at the moment who are classed as disadvantaged, Many of them are living in home conditions that are not conducive to learning, small cramped flats, very little or no outside space. And we know that many of them don't have the breadth of learning resources at home that their more affluent peers have. So many of them would not have had their own personal PC. They may well not have had access even to a phone to learn on, but they might have been sharing a, a, a device with their siblings, with their parents who could have been working at home. 
families who have PCs don't necessarily, as we know, have access to internet. And so for many children, some of the forms of learning that were set up very quickly by schools um, during the lockdown were just simply not accessible to them, certainly not for live lessons. Um, even as early as the first week of lockdown, a teacher tap survey of about 6,000 teachers suggested that at least 10% of students didn't have access to either a device or the internet. And as you do every year, this year you've been working and supporting and um, advising schools who are trying to address that gap and, and helping students to achieve um, incredible outcomes. What has most impressed you about how schools have responded to the pandemic? Without doubt, the resilience that people have shown. I mean, this has been a long, long slog um, and there have been multifarious challenges that teachers and school leaders have had to contend with. And they've done the most magnificent job, often uh, rewriting and redevising systems and procedures at very short notice, um, often having to screw up and, and throw away plans that have been carefully crafted and conceived because factors beyond their control have changed. And the last few months, we just haven't been able to, to, to put in place, you know, meticulous plans and see them work beautifully. And that's hard. And yet teachers and leaders have come back time after time um, and, and regrouped and, and found some more energy and some more optimism and taken other people with them, even when they're absolutely on their knees. Um, and in the last few weeks, I've been going into schools expecting leaders to want to talk to me about their day-to-day -day operational arrangements and have a bit of a moan which will be absolutely understandable and instead they've said let's talk about strategy let's talk about you know what I'm planning to do next year um, and you know my big dreams my big vision so to be able to continue to think big picture and strategically in amongst all the sort of mire of track and trace and dealing with positive cases popping up here there and everywhere has been truly impressive. So for many of us, it might not feel like we're really out of lockdown now, but it definitely feels different to the summer term last year. Given that pupils have mainly, for the most part, been in school uh, for this term, where are we now? What's the picture like now in terms of provision and uh, students and, and schools experiences uh, across the across the country? Yeah, well, it's definitely better, Ian, uh, because, as you say, schools are now fully open. Um, albeit with some regional lockdowns and isolation, isolation of uh, cohorts or particular groups where there are positive cases. But attendance hasn't bounced back to its pre-COVID levels. We know that for the first half of the autumn term, across the country, attendance rates were under 90% and they were significantly lower for special schools, for education support centres or pupil referral units. We know that children with an EHCP um, had an attendance rate of low 80%, children in need very low. Um, so again, the disadvantaged are disproportionately hit. So what we've seen is an exacerbation of that divide um, and a very mixed picture depending on the type of part of the country you live and the experience of, of um, the pandemic within that geographical region. And we've also seen some schools being very well equipped for moving to digital learning and being able to uh, keep the learning experience for children who have to self-isolate very high quality. And other schools really struggling because despite the fact there's been government funding for laptops, we know there are many, many families that still don't have access uh, to a computer device and Wi-Fi connectivity for home learning. So when things are challenging and unprecedented, as everyone says, it's the uh, adjective that everybody uses for this year, that's often 
can be, when innovation takes place. What sort of things have you seen with your kind of overview of schools in Hertfordshire and beyond um, that's really struck you as being either impressive or remarkable or let's use the word unprecedented? I'm glad you've asked me that question because I think there are some positives that come out of the last uh, nine months. And I was talking with a head teacher last week who was saying he's beginning to compile a list of COVID positives. Nice sort of play on the words. But there are undoubtedly adjustments and adaptations that school leaders have been required to make, which have enhanced the provision within their schools. Uh, many schools have introduced new um, behaviour systems and uh, practical arrangements for routinising the school day, which they found have had positive benefits. Um, we've seen teachers as a profession learn at a huge rate uh, around digital technology and use of um, all sorts of online platforms. So I suspect there will be lots of schools that will retain things like virtual parents evenings, virtual open evenings, uh, virtual team around the child meetings when you get busy professionals from a range of different services together far more easily and speedily by having the meeting virtually. We, we found all sorts of time saving and smart ways of operating more effectively. And I think that the smart school leaders will, when the dust settles and we have a vaccine and we return to a degree of normality, cast their minds back to the best of what existed pre-COVID but also retain the best of the adaptations they've made during COVID to fuse the two into a new vision and way of working going forward, which is even richer and even more beneficial. Are there things we can learn now or do we have to wait until, as you've said, until the dust settles before we can kind of start to look objectively on what's happened? I think now is always the time to think about what we can learn and talk with each other and codify best practice. And we've gone through phases of uh, learning through the pandemic. So the immediate short term, how do you set up a school uh, system, an education system that works during lockdown, through to how do you create uh, an effective way of running schools when they reopen to all pupils, but you're still living within a pandemic. And now we're going through the phase of how do we prepare for life after a vaccine? Um, I'm a great believer in school leaders and practitioners finding groups in which they can collaborate, talk with each other openly, share best practice, learn from each other, write case studies, produce blogs, provide forums. And we've seen so much of that in the last few weeks and months, um, different fora for learning from lockdown and for codifying best practice. Rachel, we're coming to the end of what feels like the longest term in history for many people in schools, whether it's pupils, staff, leaders, governors, whomever. If you could encourage schools to focus on one element of school life, what would it be? It would be relationship building and relationship sustaining. And I think we've seen some amazing examples of that right up and down the country at all phases and in all sectors during the pandemic. We've seen school leaders who absolutely have been focused on their school staff and their mental health and well-being and supporting them to feel confident um, with teaching in challenging circumstances and then the positive knock-on effects that's had for the way in which they've interacted with their learners. We've seen schools realise how important it is to build and sustain relationships with parents, uh, particularly parents of the most disadvantaged and vulnerable learners. And we've seen some fantastic building of relationships in those months of lockdown when vulnerable learners and key worker children 
were in school working intensely with groups of staff. Um, we've seen schools realise how important it is to understand the out of school experience of learners, what their home learning environment is like and to build relationships with families that extend into the home in a way in which often didn't exist um, prior to lockdown. And I think we're not out of the woods yet. We're going to have many more months of emotional strain and difficult decision making. And it's what uh, carries schools and communities forward, the quality of the relationships, the empathetic understanding and um, the real in-depth knowledge and building of trust that exists between all the humans that interact within school communities. Rachel, you mentioned energy and optimism, and it's really good to hear that as your coder to this. Thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. And it's lovely to get your insight and experience and uh, your hopes for the future as well. Thank you. Thank you. And if you'd like to hear more from Rachel on this subject, she'll be speaking at our upcoming conference entitled Reach for the Stars, Raising Aspirations and Expectations for Our Disadvantaged Learners. That's being held on the 3rd of February 2021 from 9am to 1pm 